Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. Talk some SEC hoops. Great guest as always, and uh, we have some other surprises in store for you too during this these next few minutes. Along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Good to see you as always. And uh, I say see because we do this by Zoom, but uh-huh. our audience can only hear... Which is a shame because we have some colorful antics that we pull. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's a a bad thing or not. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it's probably just as well because I get made fun of for my library. Uh, my it's very impressive. It's very impressive. <laughs> and you've even shown us that it's not like a chroma key wall or anything like that. It's it's actual yeah. books. Yeah. <laughs> and you've read you know, them. Rick, Rick Bird was like, "If you read all those, and I said, most of them coach. You know, he does have a good sense of humor. Though. <laughs> He's the best. Uh, He's the all time best dude. He jokes about his golf and. I, I told him that uh, if everybody was like you, uh, the world would be a better place. And he said, if everybody was like me, there wouldn't be a tea time. <laughs> I saw him on Saturday at the Belmont Sanford game. And I said, oh, you're taking a break out of your golf schedule to come to the game? And he said, oh, I've already played 18 today. I, we're, we're done. He and Dick Horton were there uh, watching the game together. You, you see oh, those I, two. I love Dick, an old friend. And, yeah. and I always thought, you and I have talked about this, but I think Rick Bird could have been an SEC coach easily. Uh, easily had someone given him the chance or if he had the inclination he realized he had a great thing at Belmont and he he didn't want to just take anything so I'm so happy for him to have made the Hall of Fame and and the next one is the Naismith Hall of Fame he'll be there too one day hopefully so and uh, would be well-deserved. Coming up on our show today, we're going to have SEC Network analyst Dane Bradshaw and a little bit later in the show we started this a couple weeks ago our spoiler-filled Mandalorian recap. So uh, just, just be on the lookout for that. It. Be on the lookout for that. It's that's my coming. Segment. Yeah, that's my favorite segment. It's our fastest-growing segment of the show. That's right. Uh, teams that it's haven't played. Flutters. Yeah, I know. Teams that haven't played. Tennessee and Ole Miss. It looks like the Vols are going to get on the court uh, against Colorado. The Rebs are supposed to open on Thursday against Jackson State. All right, Chris. I'm going to ask the question that all of Blue Ribbon Nation wants to know. Did Chris Dorch broker the Tennessee-Colorado game, given his friendships with Tad Boyle and Rick Barnes? You know what? I, I, when that was announced, I thought, man, I could have put these two together. <laughs> but here's the deal. I can't take credit for it because Coach Kim English, uh, an assistant on Tennessee staff who played at Mizzou, people remember him, a good player, played in mm-hmm. the NBA. He was also on Coach Tad Boyle's staff at Colorado. So there was that easy – I think Colorado was the first call they made when UT Martin canceled. U- UT Martin, wow, they, they've been racked with, you know, obviously Coach Stewart passing away and then this this terrible pandemic. But they called, Tennessee called Colorado. And the, the good thing about this, Kevin, and I wish I would have brokered it, I, I did immediately text both coaches. Uh-huh. And t- Tad uh, uh, texted me back immediately and told me, this isn't a one-off. You know, uh, we're going to host them next year, and then we're going to play in Nashville in, I guess, 23. Yeah. And then th- this was a funny story. I, <laughs> I was on this ledge uh, in my house. It's It's got to be 10 feet tall. I was, I was trying to put up a Christmas tree, and my phone rings in my pocket, and my wife was like, don't take that. And I said, it, it might be somebody important. <laughs> it, was, it was Coach Bird. Oh, really? I mean, uh, Coach Barnes and, and Coach was, you know, telling me about the game. And my wife took a picture of me just, st- you know, sitting on that ledge nonchalantly. But, uh, you know, I wanted to hear Coach's uh, 
side of it. And, sure. you know, it just made for such a great, they've got respect for one another. They both do things the right way. Uh, uh, I mean, Tad Boyle is honest to a fault. <laughs> His honesty has gotten him into some trouble before. Uh, I won't go into details, but uh, <laughs> let's just say, you know, he doesn't have a filter when it comes sure. to calling, uh, you know, calling out stuff. And, uh, and Rick Barnes is the same way. So good series. Uh, I want to say it's been since the eighties, since Tennessee has played a PAC 12 team, been a long time. So it's good to get a series with that league, I think. And uh, it's just a great, the only thing bad about it, Kevin, is that the, the games Tennessee lost were MTEs. Yeah, they lost two in their own MTE, Charlotte and VCU, and then they lost uh, a game in the Jimmy V Classic uh, against Gonzaga. And the way the NCAA set it up, you could play 27 games with an MTE or 25 games. I heard a lot of coaches say, "I wish they would have just said, let us play 27, no matter how we get right. However, it has to work out." Tennessee is doomed. To 25. Because they don't have so an MTE. Have, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they have to pick up Colorado and one more, uh, just to get to 25. Sure. So, uh, coach told me that, you know, he wished that it was just a straight up 27. And I totally understand that because it was hard enough just to get a game, let alone get yourself in an MTE and then see that MTE canceled. It just, that's the one thing that I would say that. The NCAA may, might not have uh, thought ahead on that. Mm-hmm. They did a great job making sure that we had a season period, but they might have anticipated that some of these N- MTEs would be wiped out, and therefore, you know, you can't get those games back. Got a couple surprise teams, and I know we're a week and a half into the season. You try not to overreact. Well, let's talk about a couple teams going in different directions, and we're going to get into this too with Dane Bradshaw a little bit later. Kentucky sits at 1-3 and three as we record this. They beat Moorhead State. Then they lost to Richmond by 12. They lost to Kansas close in the Champions Classic. They actually played pretty well in the first half in that game. And then they got hammered down in Atlanta by Georgia Tech, 79-62. The same Tech team that had lost to Georgia State and Mercer. Kentucky committed 21 turnovers. Georgia Tech shot 51%. They took good care of the ball. Kentucky did not shoot well, and they haven't. They've turned it over a lot. They just don't look in sync, all the above. What do you make of John Calipari's team? And, you know, the questions start to pop up. Is it going to catch up with him finally this year? You know, if, if there was a year uh, that, that it could be so, and, of course, the, the year uh, they played in the NIT, I guess it kind of caught up with him a little bit. When the, What was the big man that got hurt his knee? Oh, yeah, Nerland's Noel. Yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nerland's Noel. And, and yeah, this, this team, Kevin, is, is easy to pinpoint. Uh, the biggest thing that glare that, that is glaring is uh, their assist to turnover ratio. Uh, there's only one player among the regulars that, that even has a positive assist to turnover ratio, but they made 47 assists and 73 turnovers. So I go over to KenPalm.com. Of course, he's one of our partners. Uh, their non-steal turnover percentage, which is a team that doesn't steal it from you, that that's in tennis, they would call it an unforced error. Right. 217th in the country. Wow. That's 12.2%. By contrast, one of the teams that they're about to play in four days, Notre Dame, leads the country in non-steel turnover percentage, the lowest, 
at 2.7%. Hmm. So these are a bunch of kids trying to hurry. Uh, you know, they were all the hero where they came from, and now they have to learn uh, to be subordinate. They have to learn to make the other pass. Right now their shooting percentages are, are just not where Coach Cal wants them. 43 from the field, uh, an abysmal 25 from three, and less than 70%, 692 from free throw line. That, that ain't good. Yeah. Uh, and especially when you're kicking the ball away. If you don't have that firepower from three uh, to either build leads or catch up when you're behind, you, you can lose three in a row like they have to Richmond, Kansas, and Georgia Tech. On the flip side, there's Missouri, 3-0, and including an 83-75 win over number 21, Oregon. They had five players in double figures in that game. Xavier Penson had 19 of his 22 in the second half. The, the Tigers led by 17 in the first half. The Ducks cut it down to five late, but Missouri was able to hang on. Mark Smith scored 13 in the first half to you know help get them rolling. But Conzo Martin has been playing well early in the season, and that, that one over Oregon is one that might look a little nicer later on in the year. That's the gift that keeps on giving because Oregon, you know, they were ranked 21 at the time. They'll, they'll stay ranked. Sure. And they'll be a factor all year long. Uh, we, As you said, we've got Dane Bradshaw coming up, and I know he's a fan of Coach Martin and, and this Missouri team because of their guards. And, you know, Mark Smith obviously bagged player of the week uh, in the SEC this week. This is interesting. Uh their schedule ahead will tell tell all or tell a lot because they play next Liberty and sixth sixth rank Illinois in the bragging rights, which is always well it won't be this year because there won't be any fans but that's that's always a challenge uh, to play Illinois and get this Liberty has already bagged two SEC scalps this this year South Carolina and Mississippi State so they're not going to be afraid. Richie McKay, who, by the way, call, called my office one day looking to order Blue Ribbon. <laughs> and he says, yeah, this is Coach McKay. And I said, Richie, is this you? And we, we had a great conversation. <laughs> but uh, he likes his team. And, of course, they play that pack line defense, which is tough to solve, especially if you can't shoot it from distance. And so we'll see what Mizzou's made of in the next couple of games. And we should mention, too, Arkansas, Florida, and Georgia are all, all off to good starts. Uh, maybe not a lot in the way of attention-getting wins uh, outside of the Gators' 20-point win over Boston College. So you do have a handful of teams that are playing well in this first uh, couple-week stretch of the season with SEC play to start later on in December, a little bit earlier than it normally does. Our guest has arrived. He is SEC Network analyst and, uh, of course, former Tennessee Vol, Dame Bradshaw. What's going on? Not much, man. Great to be on with you guys and uh... – Probably like you guys, just feeling fortunate that we're able to even talk hoops this year. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Um, you and I were texting back and forth, and I asked you whether you'd done games uh, live or, or from your man cave, and you said you had done them remotely. That's got to be strange. Uh, I, I know it's been strange for me using Zoom to teach my class that you teach Chattanooga, so it's got to be weird to call a game, huh? It, it is, you know, but I credit, you know, the uh, I'm, I'm doing most of my games, obviously, on the SEC network. So a lot of these are, are produced from the school with some students involved, but also other uh, experienced producers and, and ESPN. And, you know, the, the technology is terrific. It, it really is. I mean, you talk about just being able to produce the games and 
what I feel like is, is a pretty good quality given the circumstances. So is it a little bit weird? Yeah. Is it perfect? No. Um, for me, one of the biggest challenges that we're working through, I've had two games now. We work with the play-by-play is, you know, you just don't have that, um, uh, just the uh, communication with your body language to kind of give them an elbow or like kind of jump in with your hands because you're, you're watching the monitor uh, of the game. And then to the right is another monitor where it's literally on Zoom. Like, I mean, if you're my play-by-play guy and Kevin, you're the producer, I can look up at that and communicate, but nobody's ever looking at it. You're watching the game. So naturally, there's a little bit more of uh, stepping on each other um, more during the game. Plus, there's a a slight delay when when he or she is talking. And when he takes a breath, I think that's my opportunity to come in, but it's really just (laughs) him finishing his sentence. So I think everybody's working through that, but – all in all, we're fortunate and, uh, you know, love being on site at the games. But uh, the coaches have been terrific, you know, with the, the prep calls at Zoom. I've got a uh, – Georgia's having a shoot around today. Uh, Mike Mobley there, their SID's got me hooked up with uh, watching the Zoom shoot around. We'll talk to Coach Crean afterwards. So, uh, to me, it's it's as normal as it can be. And uh, and most of the time I'm calling the game in my sweatpants and, uh, you know, and – and you you walk down from upstairs and tell the tell the kids either good job or bad job on being quiet <laughs> through all that. And uh, I can tell you this: it's it's hardly a man cave. I'm calling it from. I've got you know, I just probably I don't know twenty square feet in my in my house up in the top left corner to where it's just all right. This has a chance to be quiet, but it, it it's not looking good. So. Yeah. Well, at least we got ball. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I did uh, I did three games at home over the uh, the Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, it, it went better than I would have expected too. The one thing I found was the stat monitor was quite a bit ahead uh, of where the actual where the game was on the feed that I was getting, so I could almost predict like what was going to happen. It's like I, mean, I, think, oh, I, think, I think Grayson <laughs> might hit a three on this next possession. Oh man, you, you have uh, yeah, you give me a nice veteran play there. Like, <laughs> yeah, so that was a pro move. For sure. I've got Georgia tonight, so if you see any timely calls like that, then uh, I'll credit them to Kevin. There you go. Uh, as far as Tennessee, how is how have your expectations maybe been changed by the long delay to start the season? Gosh, uh, it's it's been a challenge for them for sure. Tennessee and Ole Miss, the only two teams in the conference yet to play a game. Um, and as much as they can scrimmage and have the controlled scrimmages with officials – it's always going to be sloppier when you're playing against yourselves and it gets a little bit bored. Um, so I know they're, they're anxious to get after it. Um, the good news for Tennessee though is they've got a lot of talent to overcome any of the rustiness that yeah. they might have. I mean, they're, they're going to hit the ground running. I had, did have a chance to watch a, um, uh, on Zoom, one of their controlled scrimmages and they, they it's it's hard to find a weakness and i'm sure some of that will get exposed as you start to go down there i mean you can nitpick at stuff but i mean they they they've got the the culture which is, can't be um uh underestimated of course uh, they've got the veterans they've got defense i think they've got star power they've got unselfishness and they've got these new freshman recruits um that that are coming in and what's great is it, the freshmen aren't just coming in and everybody's saying, okay, you're the savior, take us to the promised land. Now, these freshmen are good, but you, you think uh, Vescovi or Victor Bailey, the Oregon transfer, or Eve Pons or John Fulkerson are ready to give up, you know, their playing time? No. <laughs> Josiah James. So it, it all makes the program better when these freshmen have to come in and, and have to work for it, maybe more than they've ever had to in their careers. 
And I think it just creates a, and again, with the culture, there's always going to be, you know, people fighting for playing time, but I I think it's healthy competition as opposed to where you could get some jealousy in some programs if you don't have that foundation set like Barnes has. Looks like Conzo Martin has gotten Missouri off to a good start. Uh, I I, I was noticing that Mark Smith got player of the week this week. Uh, They do have a tough schedule coming up, but uh, uh, maybe a little better than expected in some cases. Uh, And maybe some other schools, maybe not quite as much as expected like Kentucky. I had a chance to call Missouri late in the year last season and was really impressed. And you could start to see um, just the the type of players and the identity that Coach Martin wanted to have. And, yes, he's had some pros there with, you know, shortly with Michael Porter, but then John Tate Porter. He's had some some good talent in there. But in terms of of just the actual fit and identity – and now he's got some big, tough, physical guards. I mean, they are—they—they they're, they're, can overwhelm you. And they're—they're they're not big and slow guards. They are big, physical, fast, athletic, um, fundamentally sound. And you know, and it's taking pressure off. They've got you know their big man Jeremiah Jeremiah Tillman, who spent more time in foul trouble than, than you have writing great blue ribbon books. And so, um, I mean, this guy, and, and so he—he's been on the court more, and, and they just seem to be gelling quite a bit and a lot of it too there's just you know despite this year with Kentucky Calipari that that's in his DNA he can rebuild every single year but guys like coach Martin I mean they they just they're like Frank Martin and and other uh programs out there they got to have that year four year five before you start to see those results and you know look just Every once in a while, will Coach Martin teams drop a game where it's a head scratcher? Like, man, that that team was ranked three hundredth in the Ken Palm. <laughs> How'd they lose that one? But everywhere he goes, there's there's usually a happy ending. Like we saw those Tennessee teams that you thought were underachieving, but then found a way to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, at Cal, he had some pros, but they got to the NCAA tournament. You know, despite you know being on the bubble there for a while. And so I just you know. There, it, it's not always going to be the the prettiest process under Conzo Martin, but I've never lost confidence in the fact that Missouri was going to find themselves back to the NCAA tournament. I think this year is, is going to be that year. Our guest is Dane Bradshaw, SEC Network analyst. You mentioned Kentucky, and it's early. One and three is cause for panic in Lexington, but but could this be the year that that the annual reload of players does catch up with them a little bit? I think it could. Um, they they just Right now, when you look out there on the court, it, you can't say that Kentucky has the best player on the court right now. And even if they weren't gelling as a team early in the season, they typically could have one or two takeover guys. Yeah. You, you could look on that roster and whoever they were playing, you could look on the court and say, man, Kentucky has the three best players on the court, and maybe the opponent is has somebody tied for fourth. That's a great you, point. You, you don't see that right now. You, you just don't. Um, you know, and some of that is just not every recruiting class is the same and not every top recruiting class. So, you know, 2019's class might have been greater than 2020s and 2021 might not be as good as 2024s. I mean, it's just, it's just not. So they're always going to get the top recruits, but you know, what's the overall impact of those? And, um, but this is unlike hardly, uh, I don't know the exact stats or returners, but, as many, it's the least, uh, Chris, you could probably correct me here, but I, I believe it's uh, the least amount of returning playing time with uh, Brooks uh, being the only only returner. So That's right. 
That's right. He did. He, they do have a couple of transfers, one of which I didn't think they'd get eligible, but did Jacob Toppin. But still, they haven't played together as as a Kentucky unit. So there's we're used to, but we're used to like not. We're used to not over like we've been conditioned not to overreact. But I don't think we're overreacting now with no. Kentucky. I mean, they, they are not a good team. This is not Evansville where all of a sudden, you know, last year where Evansville played lights out, Kentucky was bad, they got humbled. This is three consecutive losses and a Georgia Tech team that is struggling. So I, I think I, I don't think it's too early to, to panic as a Wildcat fan, even though you, you can't do that in your locker room. You can't do that after your Coach Cal. But I don't think this is the same as previous years where they go through their growing pains. I think this is more serious. Who do you think, and obviously we've talked about Tennessee and Ole Miss, have not played a game, but is there a team in your mind in your preseason prep that you said, hey, this team is being underrated or overlooked? Well, uh, Missouri we touched on, and I don't know that uh, this this next team I'll mention is necessarily overlooked because there, there are expectations to them, but I, uh, like you, I believe – I'm a, I'm a Nate Oates fan at Alabama. I mean, I know they did not, uh, they, they lost to, to Stanford in the, uh, the, the Asheville Maui invitational, but, but to their credit, they, they bounced back. And, and I think Nate Oates, uh, he's not shying away from the pressure and expectations. We, I had a game with them earlier this year. He said, look, um, he goes, we were trying to put in our system last year. We did a pretty good job, but now we've got the guys that fit our system best. And I think he's, he's really done, um, a very respectable job of, you know, they talk about the runoff rule, you know, where you, you know, you run guys off to open up spots, but I mean, he, he's very open and with his players, he said, look, you're a good player, but you're going to have more success at another school. Um, we need players one through five to be able to dribble past shoot and seems so simple, right? But it goes back to his Detroit high school days at Romulus high school, where I'm sure he shared this story with you guys too, but, they got their butts kicked in a, in a state tournament game or district tournament. And he goes, look, we're spending all off season on the fundamentals, dribble, shoot, pass. Everybody's going to be a threat on the court. We're going to be a high IQ team. And, and he studies constantly the NBA trends and, and they've got that right now. I, th- I think they're really solid one through five and they lost Kyra Lewis, a young point guard to the NBA lottery and very few programs can lose a point guard lottery pick and not miss a beat. But I think they will because they've got the transfer Javon Quinterly, who I, I'm not saying he's got as high of a ceiling from an NBA uh, standpoint as Kyra Lewis had. But right here, right now, for the Alabama Crimson Tide, I think Javon Quinterly is just as capable, if not more, to uh, lead this Alabama team to an NCAA tournament. I agree with that. Uh, he's, uh, Coach Nates is real high on Quinterly. And he doesn't quite have Kyra Lewis speed, but he can do some things that Kyra couldn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, look, that nothing, you know, Kyra Lewis had some of the, uh, I think he and Jordan Bone are probably the two fastest guys. I'm sure Kentucky's I'm missing some there, but in terms of speed, uh, De- uh, uh, maybe John Wall. Yeah. And, and yeah. Darren Fox, you know, some yeah. of those guys, but you know, the, it, it's that type of speed, sure. but you know, look, the, the ball can typically move faster than than, uh, than the dribble, and, and Alabama's getting it out. They're kicking it ahead. They're pushing. So uh, I'm not concerned at all about them losing any sort of pace to, to their program style of play. 
Dane, one more before we let you go. To, to me, Commissioner Sankey's done a good job and kind of hit all the right notes in trying to play sports through this pandemic. What have you thought of sort of his steady leadership and just trying to navigate all this the, the best he could? I think he's been phenomenal. He, he really is. I mean, and, and look, I know he gets paid the big bucks and you're in that spotlight, mm-hmm. but you're put in that position for a reason. And this is the type of leadership, from my standpoint, that you expect to see. And this is where – yeah, your leadership gets exposed in a good way or bad way. And I think he's made the tough decisions. Uh, he, he's been willing to accept criticism. And I think he, he has been absolutely um, uh, gets an A-plus in my book because it, he never guaranteed and came out and tried to do some popular thing and yeah. create rallies of, we're going to play football no matter what. You know, It just said, we're going to continue to prepare as if the football season is going to happen and sports is going to happen. And we'll adjust accordingly. And, and the fact that they never just made some cancellations before it was too soon. And, and I think they've been uh, great leaders for the rest of the country and the rest of the conferences. I know everybody's got pride and they might not want to admit it here and there. But uh, I think behind closed doors, commissioners across the country will say, you know, what, Greg Sankey at the SEC, he was the one that we were kind of following their lead and sure. seeing how it worked for them. Dane, a pleasure to have you with us on the podcast as always, and uh, all the best as you go forward here, and hopefully we have uh, plenty of games to watch and broadcast. Well, thanks. Uh, I can't leave without saying uh, I'll suck up to Chris for a minute on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball book. Uh, I've got my, I don't know, maybe my 20th copy uh, of, you know, or 20 consecutive years. But I'll tell you, listen, I had uh, Texas A&M versus UT Rio Grande Valley, the Vaqueros, last weekend. And yeah. when I get an assignment, the very first thing I do is pull up my digital copy of Blue Ribbon and figure out who the heck is coaching this team and you know where are they from, who are the returners. And uh, that, that's my first step in my scouting report. And then from there, I'll watch the tape, but it all starts with my, my Blue Ribbon summary. So kudos to you, Chris, and thanks you for the work. You are the man. Thanks so much, buddy. Take care. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, thanks Chris. There. Thanks, Dane. That's Dane Bradshaw, SEC Network analyst, and, of course, uh, played at Tennessee under Bruce Pearl and was a uh, terrific player back in those days. So I uh, appreciate Dane joining us for a few minutes. He's always a lot of fun and really knows his stuff and uh, uh, happy for his success uh, calling games on TV. He does a great job there. Chris, as we uh, move forward here, tell us a little bit about what's coming up in the newsletter this week. I, I know some good material and content, as always. Yeah, the Blue Ribbon Report, uh, it, it – uh... It's a subscription base, whereas your podcast, this podcast, uh, you can sign up and get it in your inbox for free. This is a subscription base, but there's some good journalism. This week, we've got a story on a kid named Kavon Kramer from Hofstra, who had a 1,366-day absence from competitive basketball, uh, two ACL surgeries, comes back, and in his first week ever is the Colonial Athletic Association Rookie of the Week. So wow. that's a feel-good story. Uh, I've got a profile on uh, Arkansas's Connor Vanover, the 7-3 guy. You're not going to see a lot of people that can get 16 boards in one game and make three threes in the next. Uh, their SID sent me a picture of him guarding a 6-7 guy, and it looks like me trying to guard, you know, my grandson. It, it, it just He just towers over the guy. Hmm. It's amazing how long Vanover is. And then we've got uh, a series which we're jokingly called, it's a history series called Back to the Feature. (laughs) (laughs) And our first one is about Bill Walton, 
And if you only know Bill Walton to his semi, semi hazy, semi whacked out, semi coherent. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, on, on ESPN, then you, or, or even if you knew that he scored 44 points in an NCAA tournament final, well, then you don't know enough about him because he was dominant. And, uh, one of our uh, brilliant young writers who actually was one of my students, so I'm going to brag on him, Joseph Dykus, has started this back to the feature. Uh, Blue Ribbon presents great moments in college hoops history. See, <laughs> That's kind of a lengthy title. I like, I like it. it. Yeah, you got to get yeah. in the DeLorean and, and go check out uh, Bill Walton That's back right. in the day. My son, the movie uh, historian, thought of that one for me. <laughs> I just give him what I need, and he turns those out all day long. That's great stuff. That is that's very cool. So look forward to uh, to checking all that out. Uh, one thing we want to do on a more serious note is uh, pass along best wishes and thoughts to our, our friend Joe Fisher, longtime voice of the Vanderbilt Commodores for 23 years. Uh, he stepped down last week and entered rehab, uh, battling some issues. And uh, Joe has been a friend of mine for probably 20 years. He's been a great friend of mine for a long time. I've had no bigger supporter in my career or personally, my family, than, than Joe. And uh, I, I just want to pass along all the best to, to Joe and his uh, wife, Diana, and Zach, their son. I've known all of them forever and, and uh, just wish Joe the best. Uh, he's He was an outstanding play-by-play announcer. Before that, he was an excellent TV reporter. He was, he was on Channel 4 for years and Channel 2 as well here in Nashville. But uh, I want to send along best wishes to Joe and his family. Absolutely. Uh, as, as, just as you have, I've known Joe for a number of years. You know, I've played golf with him, and, and really when you play golf with somebody, that's kind of revealing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're out there for four hours, and, uh, you know, just a great guy to, to be out there with. And, and I wish him all the best. Uh, I think it took a lot of courage uh, to do what he did. Uh, nobody had to announce anything for Joe. Uh, he announced it himself, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, full disclosure. So uh, nothing but the best for him. And, and I know he'll come through the other side just fine. Yep. yep, definitely thinking about Joe. And I spoke with him, and uh, he, you know, he was very open and honest and upfront about everything that had happened. On a fun note to finish our show, Let's do our Mandalorian recap for this week. Oh, oh shall we? Shall we? Okay, there's there's a lot to unfreeze from Carbonite from this week's episode. And if you don't want the spoilers, okay. and you might want to hit pause on our podcast here for a couple That's minutes. Right. We had Grogu go to the top of the Grogu. mountain. Yeah, Grogu. You know, yeah, every- I mean, it's like after all these, these two – Two plus seasons, and this is the name we get. Grogu. <laughs> well, you know, everybody's been everybody's been calling him Baby Yoda for all these years. Yeah, like, he, I mean, the child. You know? Yeah, the child. You know, the, yeah, the Mandalorian calls him the child, but we found out a couple yeah. weeks ago that his name is actually Grogu. And Grogu. So, I, I mean, you know, Yoda was Yoda, but mm, Grogu. Yeah. Uh, so he went to the top of the mountain and and put out the call with using his powers. And yep. then Moff Gideon's troops arrived, and uh, they, they distracted him for a while, and then he sent in the big guns, and they captured Grogu. The Razor yep. Crest got destroyed. Boba Fett is back. Yeah. Uh, he survived somehow the Sarlacc pit from uh, the trip down there in Return of the Jedi. But, uh, man, there, there's a lot going on. i, I got to say, I was pr- so pretty – Boba Fett is, is a pretty nice comeback story. His his armor made it back a few episodes ago, and then Boba Fett himself uh, was hanging around and turned out that the rest of the time. I wondered if his, like, where his face is kind of messed up. I wonder if that came from his uh, trip down to the, the Sarlacc pit. Uh, must have. Bo- Boba is a bad dude. And if, if you notice the 
the arc of the of the second season, it's like Mandalorian travels to distant planet, hooks up with some bad <laughs> a dude or dudette, right? And and croaks a bunch of uh, imperial troopers. Yeah, you know, which, which still haven't hit anything in like nine movies and and you know two seasons of the Mandalorian and, and two right. and two Although, side uh, movies. Mando's at least got the armor. Yeah, uh, and and out of the wreckage of his of, of his ship, which if Mando wasn't wearing a, a helmet, I'm sure he'd have been crying his eyes out. Right. But he he picked up that what do they call it, Beskar? The Beskar, the, the Beskar, Beskar sword. Staff. Mm-hmm. And, and and at least he had that going for him. He still had the staff. So with and Boba Fett's got some kind of staff too. So. I can only imagine there's going to be some intense hand-to-hand combat in the next episode. Okay, you want my prediction on what's going to happen? Yes, I do. Okay, he's going to take that Beskar staff and somehow either sell it or swap it for a new ship. That's my prediction. He's got to have a ride. Yeah, he's got to have a ride. He he can't be riding around in Boba Fett's ship, Slave One, which who who knew that that piece of junk was still out there? But yeah, he he can't be riding around in that for too long. I wouldn't think he's 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 too much of his own guy for all that. My grand uh, prediction for the whole thing is 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 that Rogu and the Mando are going to be running mates forevermore because we already know uh, Rosario Dawson's character in the previous episode said that. Uh, Grogu had grown quite an attachment to Mando. Right. So, you know, Grogu can mess folks up with just his mind. So, uh, you know, he's still just a kid at 50 years old. uh, (laughs) I mean, Yoda was 900 when he died, so, I mean, he's got a lot of life to live. Yeah, so, you know, this guy's just a puppy. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, so, so, you know, Grogu and and Mando can mess folks up together. So I feel like they're going to be doing some traveling together. That's my... That's my take. Yeah, I, I think that sounds uh, pretty spot on. Join us <laughs> like next. Cares what I think. <laughs> Join us next week for another spoiler-filled Mandalorian recap. This is the way that, right. that we do the blue There's ribbon. Only two episodes that left in this season. Oh, okay, so well that that's we'll bad have to news. Think of something else. Yeah, I know. We'll uh, come up with something. Over. All right. Well, Chris, it's always great to enjoy doing the podcast. We'll do it again next time, man. All right, buddy. Thanks. Take care. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This has been the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast.